everybody. Thanks for joining us on another episode of the CX Experience with CloudLinks. I'm Frank Wassenberg, CCAS Practice Leader at CloudLinks. And I am Kevin Sheehan, Founder and Managing Director of CloudLinks. Very excited today. We've got two gentlemen on the call today that we've been working with for a while on a couple of really, really exciting deals. And we were excited to have them on the call today because some of the stuff we're going to talk about is going to be relevant to the current state of the situation in the world. Um, but their architecture and their technology has been really, really exciting. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that today and just have a general conversation about it. So first up, we have Jeff Kessler, who's the regional channel manager for TalkDesk. Jeff, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. And we have Jason Lowe, who is the senior solution engineer for TalkDesk, who's um, well suited to talk about the architecture. It's one of his lovely, it's one of the things he loves to talk about. So Jason, thank you very much for joining us today. Very happy to Thanks, be here. Guys. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, thank you. So I, I got to tell you, as we get into this now, it's exciting. We, you know, we've been doing these video calls now. We've launched the CX series. You guys are one of the first people that we've brought on. And there's a lot to talk about with you guys. Um, and, and candidly, I, I want to jump right into it because there's so many differentiators with TalkDesk right now that I think it's worthwhile talking about architecture, right? It's one of the things you guys tout. Jason, outside of that lovely Yankee hat, the reason we have you on the call today is to really talk about uh, the architecture. So why don't we jump right into it? Like, could you just give us a quick rundown with, about how the architecture is differentiating itself in the marketplace, why it's so valuable to people? Sure, you bet. So there's actually a lot of really main underlying reasons that people might think about architecture. I mean, normally you wouldn't think about it, but right now in the contact center space, you have a real revolution happening. It's, it's almost like a progression in the age. You know, you had Stone Age and Bronze Age and, and Iron Age. You know, Stone Age to us in the call center space, when you're talking about cloud, is like single tenant hosted. People thought that that was a lot better than something that was hosted on premise uh, because of multi-site deployment and things like that, but it wasn't redundant. Uh, you had scalability issues. And so then you progress to the Bronze Age, which is what's called a server cluster architecture. And there are a lot of major players in the space that use server cluster architecture. And that was definitely an improvement over single tenant hosted because now you had more resources out there that could be utilized on an account by account basis. You have this phenomenon called multi-tenancy where you could have these clusters of servers and then you could go and put many customers on this cluster of servers and then maybe this customer was using these resources but this customer wasn't and so it allowed everybody to have a little bit more resources than they would normally have in a single tenant hosted scenario but now you move to something called microservices which how much time do you got man there's just so many more advantages <laughs> not that much <laughs> i know but the advantages from microservices over server cluster are just incredibly huge and there's really three main areas and we can cover them however you want but you know ease of integration scalability stability uh, those are probably three of the largest that i can think of right off the top of my head sure so i would think ease of integration is in today's market and what we're dealing with with the, uh, a pandemic is vital to people because as they get into an emergency situation ease of integration is tremendous stability i kind of understand uh, and the third one what was the third one you said scalability scalability i think we've talked scalability we understand the scalability compass talk to me about integration why is integration so powerful with that? like what makes microservices more powerful because for integrations well if you think about it, server cluster architecture has been around for a long time. So in that Gartner Magic Quadrant, 
you do have a leadership segment. TalkDisc is blessed to be one of those that is designated a leader in the Gartner Magic Quadrant. The other players in the space, none of them are 100% microservices architecture. Um, they all have major elements of their platform or all of their platform on server cluster architecture. The reason I point this out is because server cluster architecture as an architecture type was developed and conceived and built before REST APIs were popularly adopted as a communication medium between technology stacks in the world today. Mm -hmm. So server cluster architecture, it's a bunch of servers that are connected to each other using you know, band-aids and bailing wire and gobbledygook. It's a real spaghetti type integration. It's not horribly clean. Microservices as an architecture was conceived after APIs became popularly adopted as a communication medium. And subsequently, the microservices architecture itself utilizes REST APIs to communicate between the different pieces of the platform natively. So for those that don't know, REST APIs are application programming interfaces. It's a standard way to communicate that is much easier to use. Instead of having to come up with a custom integration from this system to that system, you can build something that can be used by a variety of other different services to talk to you and you just let them know how to format it and they send it to you. It's just, it's like handing somebody a dictionary and saying, these are the words you can use with me and then they know how to talk to you. Other communication methods, it usually has to be a custom integration. And so the fact that we use APIs internally all day every day means that we can turn outside to the outside world and we can talk to other platforms via API easy. I mean, it's just easy for us. With a server cluster architecture, not so easy. They're not natively dealing with APIs inside their architecture. They might have to add another server, yet another server to the server cluster architecture itself that is an API gateway that translates that internal gobbledygook, band-aids and bailing wire to some outside medium. So you're talking about another point of failure. You're talking about another point of potential capacity and scalability issues. It's just not as clean and it's not as easy to do. So right, Jason, if, if, I, if I could just, I'm sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, Jeff. Um, as a business person, if I was a lay person right now looking at the impact to my business in a, in a clustered environment, especially kind of going back to Frank's question around here we are in a, in a global crisis, the scalability I would think is the, is the big thing that's affected there. In other words, if you have to add 200 more agents to a contact center or they all have to work from home or you have to add people working from home. If you're in that cluster environment, is that a liability or do I understand that correctly? It could be. So one of the things about a server cluster that is limiting is that there's a limit to how many agents you can put on a server cluster. And that's because, you know, server clusters are built to handle as many agents as they possibly can until you start reaching that threshold of diminishing returns, right? The, right. You, you're going to make it as big as you can where you're not adding power to it, but it's costing more than the possible revenue you could generate from putting agents on the cluster. Um, let's just arbitrarily say that you have a server cluster that has a capacity of 5,000 agents, okay? You've spun this sucker up spending million plus dollars to try and get this server cluster up and running, but you can only put 5,000 agents on it. So how many agents do you think they're gonna put on it? Sure. Probably like 5,001, 5,010, they're really gonna push the limits. It's, 
server cluster architecture is really paradoxical because multi-tenancy only works if you have customers on there that are not overutilizing the same types of resources. Sure. And so scalability tends to be a problem because the more agents you put on a server cluster, the less stable it's going to become because you're increasing the likelihood of certain resources getting overutilized by more customers on that thing. It's like an apartment building, 10 apartments, but you take two people in two of those apartments who go and turn on all of their faucets and everybody in the apartment building, their water pressure goes down. Sure. I mean, server cluster architecture is the same way. You have a finite amount of resources that's on there that can be used. Now, so if you think about this, and I'm sorry to get sidetracked, but I'm passionate and I just have to talk about this. <laughs> server cluster providers are paradoxically financially incentivized to make their platform less stable. They need to put as many agents on sure. the server cluster as they possibly can to justify this large expense that they made to create the darn thing. Sure. But the more yeah, agents but, they put on it, the less stable it is. Yeah, but I mean, I, I've, I've not run into any suppliers that are at least not saying that they're not keeping their, their, their clusters at 55 or 60 or 70% capacity before they're spinning up a new one. Are you saying that's just inherently not the case because it just financially doesn't make sense to do it? Or because every time I talk to somebody, that's basically what they say. When I ask them the question, AWS or Google Compute or, or a cluster, they say, no, we keep it at 75, we keep it at 60%. And we spin up another one. Keep it at 75 to 60%. I'm just curious. Because when they talk about redundancy, they have one mm -hmm. cluster be redundant to another. Okay. So if they have two clusters that are running at 75% and something happens and they need to <laughs> fail over to this other cluster is now really cranking. And is going so to their infrastructure in stable. itself is it's, sure. its own disaster recovery. So all the seats you have in there have to have a place to go because there's no other scale. There's no other place for the to get water from, in your analogy. There is no other place. Yeah. That's their disaster recovery model, is let's take an already overloaded server cluster and load it up some more. Now, and the funny thing is, is when I say in theory, multi-tenancy works, that's literally in theory. And in my experience, in the past, based on previous lives, working for providers that had server cluster architecture, that 50, 60, 70% capacity that didn't mean a thing because there were still plenty of customers going and overutilizing a resource going beyond the 100% usage of that particular resource that affected all of the customers on the cluster. But that's not where the scalability issue really, really resonates. Here's where the scalability issue resonates. If you have a capacity of 5,000 agents, what happens if you have an account that needs more than 5,000 agents on the same account? You got to split it. You got to take right. that thing and cut it down the middle and put part of the agents over on this cluster, part of the agents over on that cluster. Now, that's a good problem to have, right? If you're a provider and you have more than 5,000 agents on an account, you're pretty happy. But, you know, the end user experience is not that great. No consolidated reporting, no visibility between agents on this cluster versus that cluster. It's just less than ideal. But even when you're dealing with smaller seat counts, let's say you're on a server cluster and you are a customer and you have a thousand seats. And that cluster is at capacity. It's already at 5,000 seats, but one of your products went viral or you did an advertising spend that went nuts and suddenly you need to add 200 seats like overnight. What are you going to do? You go to the provider and say, look, I need 200 more seats and your provider's going, uh, but you're on a cluster that's already at max capacity. What do yeah. we do? We got to split it or you have to forklift them from one cluster to another one that has room for the moment it has room you'll move it over there and then they're going to fill that as quick as possible. So the next time you go through an expansion, 
you're facing the same problem. How long would something like that take? A migration? Yeah. Uh, in theory, it happens virtually instantaneously. Uh, what happens is they will set up a duplicate of the account that's on one cluster. They'll set it up on another cluster so that at the right moment, they can turn this account off, have everybody log into new URLs, and the, and the environment is exactly the same. Um, there's still going to be some stuff that has to happen after the fact, like call recording migration, some other final details that happened in the last little bit before you did the account switch. A lot of the damage though there is that you are logging into new URLs. All the call recordings are pointing at different URLs. All of the logins are on different URLs. You're, you're in a different environment, so all of your bookmarks are broken. It's just a, you know, quite a bit of a hassle. And then in that migration stuff, things can go wrong. You know, you might, maybe the backup that you ran happened one hour before you actually pulled the migration trigger, but there's some substantial stuff that happened in that last hour that now you have to catch up on that might affect your business for a while. Interesting. So why don't we shift gears a little bit here? Because I'd be interested as, as we go forward. I want to get Jeff involved. I want to ask some questions of Jeff, mostly because he's, again, another guy wearing some great outfits here with the talk desk <laughs> shirt. I love it. Um, omni-channel, right? You, you guys are putting a lot of value in the omni-channel space, Jeff. Where are you seeing your innovation coming in? Where are you seeing omni-channel playing a role in, in your strategy? You know, every client has a, a different need when it comes to omni-channel. Um, and I guess, you know, one of the, one of the beauties that, you know, happen at TalkDesk is because of the, the open API that Jason was talking about, you know, we have our own omni-channel offering, uh, but we also have, you know, in our App Connect store, or in our App Connect, different apps around omni-channel. So, um, you know, they can either choose to use ours, you know, or, you know, if they don't like ours and, and one of our App Connect partners works a little bit better, they can use theirs. Um, but, you know, where we're seeing it today is, you know, just improving that customer experience for our customers, you know, where, you know, they, they want to choose their, their route of communication with us. So, um, you know, it really has to do, you know, every, 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 every client is a little bit different. Yeah, I agree. And I think as you get into it, you start having that conversation around, and it's, we've seen this shift. You start having that conversation around, how do we make the agent more powerful? What tools can we throw in front of them? What value can they bring to our clients by us enabling those agents to be more powerful? So on the channel plays a role, but I like the idea of your App Connect store because it's probably an area where people can just get into real easy and just update or download platforms that are going to make the agent more powerful. They can probably load them up real quickly for people sure. yeah, every, I mean, every every provider in the ccas space jeff um which is now incredibly stacked leads with omnichannel as what makes them special you know would you say that the the, the app store on the talk desk side is that the secret sauce for you guys or if not what is no it's really the option you know it's the options that we offer our clients you know if you you know, with a lot of our, our com competitors, it's either our way or, you know, if you, this is our omni-channel. If you, you like it or you don't, you know, but this is our, your option. For sure. us, you know, there's multiple options. And, you know, with our App Connect, um, it's, a, it's a single click installation with little to no pro services involved. Um, it's a 30-day free trial. So if you like it, great. Then it's pay you go on a billing. Or if you don't like it, you, you tried it out for 30 days and you can find, you know, you can maybe try our, our native one. Um, 
but it's really the options that, that, that our clients are liking us. And they're not just, we're not just fitting them all into the talk desk box. Is there one, is there an app on the, on that exchange that stands out as sort of an all-star that's, that, that one is kind of universal to your client base or is, is it a, our native one has actually been taking off like tremendously. So, um, you know, I I wouldn't say our, our app store. I mean, you know, if you think about our app store in the beginning, I mean, we, in my opinion, I mean, Tiago, our founder really, you know, he came up with the talk desk idea in, in 2011, you know, 2015, we got our first round of funding, uh, 2017 and 18, we were in the visionary quadrant, uh, 2019, we made it to a leader. Um, and when we started gaining speed, we had to add in, or like our app store was actually built because we had the solid platform, um, but we didn't have the omni-channel. We didn't have the workforce management. But now that sure. we are, as we are growing, we're getting our own native and it's actually really taking uh, taken off uh, big time. But you know, if I was gonna name one app partner, um, it would be you know, Observe AI. Observe AI. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and, and what they do? Uh, I think Jason could probably take on a little bit more of that. <laughs> so, yeah. That was, a, that was a lob over to you, Jason. I like that. <laughs> it was a softball. That was a Hang softball on. of a lob, but it was I a lob. I'm wearing a baseball cap. Okay. <laughs> um, Observe.a is actually a, a fantastic platform. What it is is it's a real-time uh, transcription tool that has a heck of a lot more on it than that. So... Uh, it will go through and it will transcribe 100% of the calls that are recorded, and it will automatically grade those calls from a QM perspective. There are these things that you set up on them called moments, and what those moments are is like a category of something that happens. Um, here's a simple use case. Let's say that we want to monitor our agents to make sure they're not using cuss words with customers, and so we'll put on there a big brother cuss word filter. So, you know, we'll set it up so that if the agent says, you know, like flip or fetch or shiz or something like that, that it will then mark the score on that particular call down because something negative happened on that call. You can do the same thing with positive scoring, right? Proper greeting, uh, upselling technique. And all you're basically doing is entering in keywords and phrases for it to listen to. And then if those are present, it will grade that call accordingly. It also transcribes the entire call and it gives you a visual layout of the call so that you can go to any point and you can listen from that point forward. You can see where these different triggers happen in the call. So it's a very easy thing to go and look at that, at that particular point of the call or listen to it at that particular point of the call to sure. see what happened. It's just, it's a fantastic QM tool that uses automatic methods. And plus with, with normal QM today, you know, let's pull up a score sheet and let's grade the call on how the agent did. QM personnel are probably only looking at, you know, three to five to maybe 10% sampling rate of phone calls at the most. With this, it's recording 100% of the calls and it's doing automatically. So it can either take the place of QM or it can augment it. It can drive you to the right two to five to 10% of calls right. to look at based on certain things happening on the call. Just great value there. And a lot of our customers really love it. Does it have sort of a real-time alert? So in other words, we have one uh, contact center client who's uh, the word that no one can use is cheap. Uh, it's, it's mostly an outbound contact center. So they're, they're calling with campaigns. And you know, it's, you can say inexpensive, you can say affordable, you can't say cheap. Do you, would it have the ability if somebody used that word real-time in a call um, to, to alert their manager and kind of say, 
hey. Hey, we'd like to eject them from their seat if they use that word. <laughs> well, you know, the Internet of Things. I mean, we can trigger REST API. <laughs> Who knows what could happen? But, but yes, we, we can send out a notification as soon as that is transcribed and as soon as that word is figured out, that, that can be something that can have a notification sent to a manager or supervisor to inform them that that's sure. I mean, obviously, how close, we, we how close to real time is it? No, how, how close, close to real time? time is it? Because that, we, we get, you know, we have a concept where we talk with our, with our clients where, you know, you don't want to lose a whole day with a bad agent because something happened. You know, they got a ticket on the way to work. So we don't want to lose a whole day because that agent's off. And we want to pull them off the line quicker. So one of the things I think Kevin and I really focus on is that can these QM tools bring real value so you don't lose money? in real time as opposed to a day later and the damage is done. Right. So when I say real time, I'm talking seconds or minutes after the call is over. That's sure. when you're going to have some notifications sent out. And in some instances, we can even do some stuff while the call is still going on. So TalkDesk itself has a bunch of artificial intelligence products that we are developing. Uh, a good Example of this is something that could be adapted to meet the use case that you're talking about. Uh, we have a product called Agent Assist. And what Agent Assist does is it does real time listening to the call um, with NLP and transcription processes. And what it's meant to do is to help the agent do their job by listening to what the caller is saying and reacting accordingly. So let's say that Frank calls in, he's got a red widget, it broke, he needs to order a part. So he calls into Jason's widgets and he says, hi, listen, I need some help ordering the right part for my red widget. Now the agent assist concept is that it's listening to Frank say those words and then literally within seconds or less, it's going to pop up on the agent's screen a red widget part order form and a red widget technical spec diagram and a red widget FAQ. You know, it's just, it's gonna to listen to that conversation and provide real time to the agent things that can help them do their job. We have another product that's tied to the same engine called Supervisor Assist. So yes, that is something that I think would apply towards listening for certain words and things where you can notify real time. We can do that either with Observe.ai's methodology of notification and transcription, or we can do that with our own AI stuff. It's just, there's lots of different ways to perform that task, so to sure. speak, and, and we serve them all. That's, I think that's part of the flexibility and the beauty of our platform that, you know, Jeff was referring to with the App Connect platform or the App Connect store itself. It allows us to adopt newer technologies faster. Sure. You know, with, with server cluster architecture not being able to integrate, that means that they either have to make an acquisition, then go and try and figure out a way to take these two tech stacks and blend them together. So you're going to have a time delay because that's hard. Um, just making the acquisition doesn't make it work overnight. They still got to figure out a way to integrate it, right? Mm -hmm. And then when you're done, they've got one flavor. They've got one offering. They've only got one thing they can offer you to do that job. But with the App Connect store, you know, I don't know about you guys. I don't check my sports scores on my iPhone using Apple News. I don't do it. <laughs> you know, that's the Apple app. That's part of Apple's offering. Sure, it's fine. If I really want to, I could go find my sports scores. Or at least I wish I could check my sports scores. Right now. <laughs> yeah. But the point Timely. being is, yeah. uh, I, I like the ESPN app. I like ESPN Plus. I, sure. yeah, I pay a buck or two a month for it, but it gives me great insight, gives me great commentary. 
you know, I get access to fantasy sports stuff. Not, not that I do that or anything, but you know, I mean, it's, that's the beauty of the modularity of technology today. We're used to being able to go find something that's going to do something we want right away with the app connect store. If somebody comes up with some new super cool technology, that's going to benefit the call center, whether that be the agent experience or the customer experience or the overall experience and they build it and they've got it. And now it's hot. We don't need to worry about figuring out how to replicate the wheel. We'll just go talk to them and say, Hey, come be in our app connect store. We'll offer you to all of our existing customers. You can continue to sell stuff. It's wonderful. And then if we want to later on down the road, we can maybe add development to our platform to augment that or to add different options for customers to use that. Right. Right. That's super interesting. So you're, you're really following kind of a, a best of breed approach to certain technology, certain aspects of your technology, right? You, you've got a belief and a trust and a function of your own, uh, the, the, you believe and trust in the, you know, the function of your own platform, but it, as need be, you follow a best of breed approach because if somebody does something better, enable the client to it. Plus, I, I would imagine it allows you to win more deals because if somebody's using something, you don't have to forklift what they're comfortable with. You just slide yourselves right into it. Teleopti WFM is a great example of that. There's a lot of people that use Teleopti. They really feel comfortable with it. They think it's fantastic. We've had a number of accounts that have started working with us and they say, um, but can you integrate to Teleopti WFM? Cause we really like it. Hey, they're in our app connect store. You know, how right. hard is that? And, and they, they get a big smile on their face. They look at the rest of the talk desk platform sold, move on. And, and so that's really a great position to be in, you know, Verant Monet, same way. Envision yeah. WFM or WFO capability. So .ai for speech kind of I mean, taking taking all that, Jason, and now going back to the, the 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 big topic that everyone's discussing right now is we're in a global crisis. We're in a national crisis. There's a lot of contact centers who were not prepared for this, who are scrambling. Microservices architecture dovetailing how easily that can be deployed now because you're not reinventing everyone's wheel as far as how they do business. You're basically giving them a cloud-based platform and you can plug all these in through, through the app store. Um, typical, typical spin up timeframe. If you want to kind of talk a little bit about that. You know, I think our average these days is four to six weeks, four to six weeks. Um, you know, we've Jeff re remind me and maybe you could kind of keep me honest on this, but we had a really big account just a week and a half ago that we signed. Um, we signed on a Friday, we had them up on a Monday and sure. this was thousands of seats. I yeah, mean, so okay. in, in, in a crunch time, we can pull it off a lot faster, but you know, TalkDesk has a mantra that we use for designing not only our integrations, but also the platform itself, how we use the platform and what we make available to our customers and our very own professional services implementation people. And that mantra that we follow in designing our product is clicks, not code. The point is to make it as easy to use as possible, not just for our customers, because they love that, but also for our own people. That's what makes our implementation timelines lower is because these pre-built integrations means we don't have to spend two weeks and $20,000 worth of PS fees to try and integrate these applications to our platform. Sure. It's already done. And then that reduces the timeline and it reduces the implementation cost as well. And those people are all in-house? Yes. Okay. I believe. Jeff, keep me honest. Uh, yes. Did you just look up like the Brady Bunches? <laughs> well, I'm trying to remember. It's like, you know. I, oh, I thought you looked up right, at Jeff like the Brady Bunch. That was classic. No, it's like. Okay, <laughs> hey, Kevin, so it, can you ask the next question? 
<laughs> if you look up and to the right, you know, that's like an intellectual thought. Yeah, the other ones you're making it up. Left, it's emotional. You'll notice that I looked up and to the left. So I love it. I love it. it was. I don't know. Now, so we, we can high five later on in the meeting. <laughs> Air five. <laughs> hey, so, um, I mean, that, that actually gets to a good point then. So if you're talking professional services, project management, that, that's a major role. In that project that you did, I imagine there was some just get us up mentality. We just need to have agents to be able to take calls, right? There wasn't the, we want to integrate with 75 different platforms. We want to do this, that, and the other thing. We want to be fully up in what normally would take six weeks. Now we want to do it in three days, right? I imagine it was not that. But all, are all of your PM people yours? Are there any outsourcing of any portion of the labor to get a service up and running? Yeah, we have certified implementation partners. Um, you know, obviously they've gone through the training and, you know, they're certified to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so we do farm some, you know, some of that out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. As needed on an as needed basis for scale or for, for scale or for, or, or, or is it pretty de facto for you guys? Cause you don't keep the people on staff. I mean, it's just, it's more of a preference. I can imagine neither one of them is better or worse at some points. Right. Um, I think it's, to for, to scale. I mean, we're about a thousand employees, you know, give or take where I think, 55% of us are in Portugal and research and development. So, um, yeah, we kind of have to use some of these, you know, but it's not just native to us. I mean, mo you know, every CCAS provider uses, you know, implementation partners. So, that's a, I mean, it's a big number. So 55% of that thousand people are in R&D. Mm -hmm. That's enormous. It is. And um, Our CEO wants to maintain agility, man. He's a programmer. Yeah, he, uh, this is. Yeah, okay. I remember the story of Tiago, how he started this whole platform. Oh my yeah. goodness, Tiago, if you're watching this, please forgive me for the words I'm going to say. But the dudes from Portugal, you know, <laughs> R and D personnel, they are awesome in Portugal. Those guys, sixty yeah. percent of our R and D people have graduate degrees for crying out loud. This is a highly skilled, highly motivated, highly technical, apt development bunch in Portugal, and he's from Portugal. He likes creating jobs in Portugal. It's a really cool win-win situation here with some real synergy. And so sure. that's why R&D is in Portugal. But, I mean, he's a developer. He wants to make sure as the company grows that we maintain, if not accelerate, our agility as far as new feature creation, as far as being able to do things for customers specifically. I mean, for crying out loud, we'll do – Tiago's favorite word is yes. We'll do a lot of great things. I mean, we just signed a really big – contract with a company and I don't know if I should say it I'll let Jeff say it but we actually implemented them and they were using our platform for a few weeks before signature went on the dotted line and we're talking about thousands of agents how many companies sure. would do that how many companies can have full faith in their capabilities and in their staff's capabilities to pull off miracles to do something like that for these larger accounts this is some now don't get me wrong that's not a standard practice we don't give people stuff before they sign on the dotted line. But it, you know, it just speaks to our flexibility and our willingness to do whatever it takes to make our customers happy and to help them succeed. Mm -hmm. what, was, it more of a, was it more of a stress test or was it more of a, a proof of concept? Like what, or was it more just, hey, we don't believe you. Let's, 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 let's poke holes in this. I think it was a little bit of all of the above. Plus, uh, we actually had to develop some features specifically for them. So that we're contractual that, you know, let's, let's get this feature developed. Let's get it rolled out. Let's test it. Um, and, and so they were able to use it and test it in real time in a live environment. 
when they were happy with how it was going and they were happy with how the implementation went and all of those features were in place, then they signed on the dotted line. Mm -hmm. They, uh, yeah, they, they, they built what they needed for the demo. And after the demo, they were like, we're sold. Let's, sure. uh, let's move forward. And we started implementing them, getting them live. And then let's deal with the contract. So is, is there, is there, is there a vertical guys that stands out as sort of a no brainer or, or, or vertical who should take a look at the talk desk platform just because of the synergies between the two? I mean, we're seeing all kinds of verticals these days. I mean, obviously healthcare is a huge one right now. I mean, the, the opportunity that Jason was talking about was Disney, you know, so mm -hmm. if you think of the customer experience, you know, no other company screams it, you know, more than Disney. Um, but obviously healthcare is a huge thing right now. Insurance companies we're seeing, nonprofits we're seeing. <laughs> My God, can you imagine the volume Disney's getting right now? <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, when the right. streaming service Disney Plus went out, they had 500,000 calls day one and their call center dropped, I think 75, 80% of the calls because their current contact center couldn't handle it. It's amazing. It's and amazing. It really is. Um, was it, I'm curious, was it a premises-based system? Uh, that, I do not that, know. I don't, I don't know. I'm curious that because what we've seen is obviously, you know, listen, the shift to cloud is important, but there's probably a point in time in, in Jason, since you mentioned that you've been to a couple of places over the years, what, what do you think was the inflection point and where, you know, similar to hosted VoIP, where it went from premises to cloud almost as the de facto, where do you, where do you think the, the, what was the event or what was the, the technology that allowed CCAS to kind of push the envelope and really start gaining speed over premises-based systems for a company like that? Probably when the complexities and the dollar amount necessary to create multi-site deployments became a real issue. You know, when you started having call centers that were large, um, you know, having dedicated circuits between multiple switches at multiple sites and integrating them in the right way and everything, that was huge for a number of years. And then it was actually the standard. But then when cloud comes along and people start realizing, hey, we can do multi-site deployment with a lot of ease and without having to go to all this expense of all of these dedicated circuits and, you know, all of this stuff, it, it ended up being a real bit of a tipping point. You know, CCAS still, I would say, is probably moving from early adoption to late adoption. Um, it's probably right on the cusp because you're still talking about the vast majority of seats in call centers today nationwide are still on-premise equipment. Oh, absolutely. Now, I mean, it's well but, over 80%. Right. But now mm -hmm. the event that's driving it is this one because you have a lot of people with premise-based equipment and call center agents that they're having to send home mm -hmm. because businesses are being shut down and they're scrambling and calling us and saying, is there any way you can help us get our agents to be able to take phone calls from their house? Mm -hmm. This is a big time as it relates to migration from premise to cloud based on current circumstances. Sure. Yeah. BPOs this, as well. We got a call yeah. from a BPO yesterday. This coronavirus um, is going to kill the on-prem PBX. Yeah. And it it's really not just the coronavirus. I, I, uh, last year, I took a trip to Puerto Rico because all of a sudden, all of the government agencies in the telco in Puerto Rico, because they went through that hurricane, mm -hmm. they had on-premise stuff that shorted out and, and was done. They couldn't take calls for a long time. They needed something that was cloud-based that wasn't going to get ruined, like mm -hmm. the servers that they had in their basement that got flooded out. Um, and so we did a lot of business in Puerto Rico very quickly. 
you know, these, these different things that really bring up the stress that the system is going to take uh, based on certain circumstances. You know, people don't migrate until they have to, but a lot of things are happening that are making it so they have to now. Sure. So, you know, we, we get some interesting insights into the on-prem world as well, just being so connected to this world. You know, we're starting to see that they get it. They understand they have a limited amount of time. Um, interestingly enough, some of, the, some of the bigger names have just said, you know what, we're just going to max out making money for the next five years. We know we're dinosaurs, but we're, gonna, we're not going to innovate. We're not going to invest in cloud. We're just going to squeeze who we have for as long as we have and then just kind of take a step back from the market. Um, and which we thought was a really interesting thing to say because the question back to them is, how is that really servicing your customer base in the long term or even in the short term now? Even in the, I mean, you know, especially with what's going on uh, in the next few weeks and months. Well, um, one, one of the main hurdles, you know, to piggyback off that, Kevin, that I deal with with my partners is the compensation that they have, their compensation plans for their sales mm -hmm. reps. They, their comp plans are built to sell on-prem solutions, period. You sure. Know, maintenance contracts, software upgrades, yeah. and, and hardware. And, you know, and when I go in and I, you know, say, listen, you know, everyone's moving to the cloud one day. You know, you're either going to be on the train or you're not. Mm -hmm. And the biggest hurdle is that they aren't prepared to change their comp plans to compensate their employees. So they're comp they're, if, you're, if, if the employee isn't compensated, then, I mean, I'm not going to sell something that I'm not going to be compensated on. Sure. Or, and th that's the biggest hurdle, to be honest, which is mm -hmm. mind-boggling to me. Um, and, and it's also one that interesting affects the overall relationship uh, between the, the manufacturer and the end user because that, that account representation is the lifeline between the two. And with a, an OPEX model, you know, the comp is spread out really over the length of that relationship. And that relationship has to be maintained and remain strong and remain fruitful for both parties to keep it going. Whereas with the capital expenditure model, which is the legacy way the premises-based equipment has always been sold, mm -hmm. you've got these large upfront sales. And then after that, it's kind of like, you know, somewhat of a one night, one of a yeah. one night stand. Like, I'll call yeah. you in five years when you're making contacts, uh, <laughs> you know, and you need your software upgrade. So, you know, if you're running a contact center, um, it's kind of an easier decision to make which one of those models you want to have a relationship with, you know, yeah. somebody who's engaged financially engaged over a, a month to month basis, the life of that service or someone who's just trying to close this massive upfront sale and kind of move on to the next shop. I, I mean, I would, I would, I'd be extremely hesitant to, uh, to, to engage in an upfront uh, equipment sale in, yeah. in these, in these days, you know, and, um, you know, with the last two weeks of what's been going on, you know, there was a lot of like, hurry up. We need a, we need a discovery call. We need a demo, get me a contract, sure. you know? And then what happened a lot is um, over the weekend, you know, we, 
call Monday morning, be like, okay, you know, let's pick up where we left off. And it's, uh, uh, well, we put a Band-Aid on it. You know, we put a, a VPN client on it, you know, for, for the short term. And it's a, There's it's a lot a of Band-Aids out there. A right lot now. of Band-Aids. And you can, okay, you know what, I'm, I'm, it's okay you did that, but let's talk long term because that's not. And let's talk about what you're not getting or, yeah. you know, what you are getting from the VPN, you know, which is, you know, poor call quality. You know, you don't know who's on the call or who's on the phone and who's not on the phone. There's no reporting yeah. involved. Um, so it's just still a lot of education going on um, to say, hey, just, just because you sold them VPN doesn't mean the deal is done. Let's, let's keep conversations open. Sure. We actually had an interesting cl client conversation the other day about work at home and the structure of compliance being managed at home. Right. You, you've, all of a sudden, you've gone from one office to a lot of offices. W what are you guys doing in terms of compliance? How are you helping clients manage that? Oh, that's an easy one. Everything that the TalkDisk platform does is encrypted at rest and encrypted in transit. Okay. So as far as compliance for data security, we're set up fantastically. Uh, we have PCI compliance tools. We have HIPAA compliance tools. We handle GDPR. We handle call recordings in country. You know, there's, there's basically everything that you could possibly want, we can do. And you're able to do their call recordings in country, even on the AWS architecture or the microservices architecture, you're able to control to that level and guarantee it? Well, this is one of those, and thank you for the softball. This is one of those things that's really <laughs> pretty. That was actually a tough question. Yeah, well, <laughs> what was a tough question? It, it would be tough if you weren't a microservices architecture, because with us being built on the AWS platform, you know, it, it, we can spin up, an Amazon S3 instance for storage in any availability zone around the world. Mm -hmm. So we can then point to that for call recording storage. So for a compliance purpose from having call recordings live in country, no problem. Spin up an S3 instance, point to it, and that's where it's going to get stored. Now, if you're also talking about a customer that, you know what, we don't want it to be on your instance of S3. We want it to be on our instance of S3 so we can have full access and, and secure control of the call recordings as they live. Fine. Spin up your own S3 instance and we'll point to that. And that's where we'll send the call recordings. So when it comes to compliance and security issues, there's not much we can't do. So, so let's stay on that track, right? But, but a slightly different direction. Everyone's now gone from one office, roughly, right? Now they're at thousands of offices around the country because their houses are set up the way they are and they have to do what they have to do. What, what tools do you have out there to maintain company culture? Are you, are you doing anything special in terms of either your innovation cycle or, um, or, or, or your current platform that allows, to maintain, allows people to maintain that company culture, that, that, that one office environment? You know, I've seen chat tools becoming more and more popular. I've seen video tools becoming more and more popular. Uh, you know, I'm curious where you guys are doing, what you guys are doing to build to this environment to keep people feeling as if they're part of a team. Well, I think probably the first thing to address right now at this point in time is that a lot of those popular collaboration tools that are used for inter-office or interpersonal communication that are well-established, things like Slack and things like Microsoft Teams, mm -hmm. we integrate very tightly with those platforms today. So we can complement those functionalities by adding our own as far as call center capability is concerned. But it doesn't just stop there. I mean, what you're talking about could include in-house tools specifically for text-based collaboration or even video collaboration between users on a phone system or a platform. Um, I, I think that I'm not, you know, 
stating something that's rocket science when I say that the feature set and the development necessary to create a UC platform is maybe slightly less than it is for a call center platform, unified communications mm -hmm. call center. The complexity of call center is, is much higher. Um, historically, what we've seen as far as that is concerned is that UC platforms tend to be good as far as promoting uh, interoperational communicate or interdepartmental or interpersonnel communication, especially in remote environments like we find ourselves in today. So UC systems are really, really good. Call center systems, they can be good, but they just don't have that core UC functionality. But what UC platforms get is instances where their customers need call center functionality. So they try and add call center to UC. It's a problem because the uplift from UC to call center you're talking this versus this. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they have a lot further way to go. So what you see is a lot of UC firms that go out and they make an acquisition. They buy a call center company, but then they try to Frankenstein integrate to their UC to provide some sort of a holistic solution. Now we do that too. Ours is a Frankenstein integration to a certain extent with different UC platforms and other collaboration tools. Cause there's CC and then there's the UC element, but see this, we're building that. We are building our own UC platform that is going to be fully built on the core architectural elements and all of the integrated pieces of the call center platform. The UC is just going to be built on top of that, completely natively integrated with the call center application. So TalkDesk Voice Unified Communications will be coming out by mid-year. Sure. So that, that's kind of a softball. Yeah, that's kind of a softball back to us. We usually kind of like to wrap up the hour with a question of like, all right, what's what's innovative and coming down the pipeline that you haven't announced yet? So that that's super interesting that you're going to have your own UC platform built, to take your words, natively into your overall network. It's that is big. one of many things. It's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. We actually have a program right now um, to kind of go with the year 2020, where we're actually um, introducing 20 new features in the first 20 weeks of 2020. So um, <laughs> this is a, you picked a great first 20 yeah. weeks. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, they're still being released. So are they announced? Um, like, is there is there a written roadmap to that, or are these kind of like surprises? Like, or or certain people in like, could we get a could we put up? um a video of that right now if we not that you have it now but can you guys get us that because we could put that up right now to see the innovation um, cycle i could cut that in that'd be very interesting to see i think i can we may even have a deck slide that he can show you here pretty quick maybe yeah i do it's just oh present hold on sorry i mean don't don't worry about it. we you know no, that's no, the no, beauty no, no, of post-production and my magic fingers sure. with uh <laughs> we fully we fully anticipate uh the 2020 re redo so. around august yeah <laughs> 2020 do-over yeah, uh... oh that's cool that's great to see that's great yeah that's great this would be cool to kind of take a look at um so this is I mean, through uh yeah this is through you know this is through May 21st. That's great. That's great. So guys, I mean, listen, we've taken up again, you know, we've taken up a lot of your time having this to close out on is actually a really cool kind of um, image to close out the conversation on. Is there anything kind of you want to close out on your side? I mean, we, we appreciate the time. We loved having you, uh, you know, Jason, great job on the hat, you know, well done. Um, 
Uh, is there anything that you're kind of thinking about that you think would be valuable to kind of close out on your side, guys? You know, I, I, I guess, you know, we're all in this strange position right now, you know, where, you know, we're all in sales, you know, and we're all just trying to, you know, my message to my partners these days is, you know, first and foremost, you know, like Frank, you and I had this conversation this morning, just kind of checking in on one another. See, you know, how, how, is, how are our personal lives you know, affecting, you know, our business lives and making sure that everybody is okay personally, you know, and then just letting everybody know that we're, we're really here at TalkDesk, we're, we're here to help. You know, we just happen to have a, a platform that is helping companies stay in business, keeping their employees employed, helping their clients, you know, get through this as well. Um, so, you know, we're just kind of glad that most people that we're speaking to today are, are safe, um, and healthy, and you know we're we're here to help first, and not just capitalize on you know this crisis that is going on right now. Yeah, you know, and that's and that's a sincere thought. I mean, you listen at the end of the day, you know, you get a bad rap being a sales guy sometimes, but at the end of the day, you're 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 a genuine person. It can come <laughs> off, Jeff, that you, you're honest in your intention there to say, listen, we we wish you the best. We want to help out if we can, and we will if we can. But at the end of the day, we you know. You, you sleep at night knowing that you've done right by people, and that's great. Jason, what about you? Anything you want to close out on? Uh, thank you for listening to me soapbox numerous times during the course of this uh, this meeting. I, You're very welcome. I, I guess I would just say that as someone that's <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would just say that as someone that's been in the industry for a, for a good long while, specifically in the CCAS world, um, TalkDesk is the place I am for a major, major reason, because I wanted to be with the player that was going to not only be successful now, but was also going to be the most successful over the next 10 years. And the architecture lends itself to it. The attitude of the company towards building tools that are highly usable and highly stable and fun to play with is, is really a big portion of it. And plus, it's just a company that is has the right uh, temperature, if you will, so to speak. It, it's really making things move in the right direction at the right pace at the right time. Um, this is a good company that can serve you really well over the long run. And uh, I, I think that your customers specifically should really, really consider TalkDesk, especially if they want to future-proof things and, and as, as we go down the road, uh, make themselves a better option right now as far as uh, architecture is concerned and the ability to serve multiple agents with high voice quality regardless of location, and then also be able to meet all of those different multinational, international deployments and a variety of other things in all sorts of verticals. I mean, earlier you asked about different verticals where we're really shining. Uh, you know, Jeff mentioned a couple. Healthcare is a really big one, um, but tech is a really big one. We have a lot of our customers are tech. Why? Because there are neighbors next to us in San Francisco, and we integrate really well with high-tech companies. But we serve everything from hospitality to logistics to, uh, you know, retail to financial services. There's really not a vertical where we aren't making inroads today, and that's mm -hmm. because the platform is just built to be able to serve a lot of different customers in a lot of different ways and integrate to a lot of things very seamlessly. Sure. That's well said. Sign off. Well said, Jason. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, cheers so, guys. All right Thank guys. You. Thanks for this, man. I, I really appreciate the opportunity and um, yeah, I'll get you the recording. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Thanks guys.